All right, our, our message this morning, if you take your Bibles and turn to Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10. God willing, we'll be expounding verses 3 and 4. Hosea 10 verses 3 and 4. I saw some of y'all have gone over and got to meet uh, my daughter Lauren's in-laws, uh, the chaplers. It's so good to have them with us this morning from Arizona. Arizona. And God willing, because um, we've got some church members in Arizona, and God willing, we'll be seeing you uh, soon. I know we tried to a little while back, and then you had a death in the family, and that kind of messed things up. But they've got... A little room at their house they've offered us if we come down there. And so I don't know which camera, but uh, they've got a little room at our house they've offered us. So Lord willing, maybe we can go down there and uh, see them and, and uh, be able to meet with you all. Hosea chapter 10, verse 3 through 4. The title of the message this morning is A Country Without a King. A Country Without a King. And a subtitle is Hemlock in the Furrows. Hemlock in the furrows. If a nation teeters on the edge of a dangerous hill, morally speaking, too long, then one day that their morality will just go ahead and fall off the edge of that cliff, and there's no way it can be stopped once it goes. And sadly, this is the place that Israel had come to as a nation. They had strayed too far from God. They refused to heed His loving warning, and they continued to push forward in their rebellion against Him. And now their car was tumbling off the cliff, and it was too late to stop it. But I want you to listen carefully this morning to how God describes their rebellion, how God describes the outcome of their rebellion, because in God's description as we always do in His Word, we are able to mine some very wonderful truths. Hosea chapter 10, verse 3, God says, For now they shall say, We have no king. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your precious Word. We love You so much. And I pray, Father, that all eyes will be upon You this morning. And as we hear from You and are taught by Your Spirit, Father, in Your Word, Glorify your great name. In Jesus, your son's name we pray. Amen. For now they shall say, we have no king. When Israel fell in defeat, they would say, we have no king, because their king would be defeated. Their king would be overthrown by an enemy nation. And to understand the significance of what this means, I mean, why would God even bring this up? Why would He say, they will say we have no king? Why is that so important to be mentioned in the sacred text? Well, to understand the significance of this statement, we need to go back and remember Israel's history regarding kings. You see, when God brought Israel out of the land of Egypt, and He brought them into the promised land, He took them across that Sinai desert, as long as they obeyed God's law, Israel was going to be fine. And it's important to understand that nowhere in the law of God, the law of God expands well beyond those Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. But, 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 but nowhere in the law of God did God ever command them to get a king. 
Nowhere in the law of God did ever God suggest that they needed a king. But knowing their hearts, knowing their tendency to stray from God, God knew one day that Israel would look around at the nations around them and want to be just like those nations, those godless nations, and He knew that they would want a king just like everybody else. So God included the rules for a king in His law when they came to that low point as a nation. And sure enough, one day the children of Israel got to looking at the nations around them and they decided we want a king like everybody else. Instead of wanting to be like the other nations, Israel should have been thankful that they weren't like the other nations. They should have been thankful that God made them different than the other nations. You see, the other nations needed a king because they didn't have God. Israel had God, so they didn't need a king. God was their king. Nevertheless, they asked the prophet Samuel, give us a king. Appoint a king over us like the other nations. And Samuel was very disappointed. He knew they were wrong. So he went and asked God what to do. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken or listen unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should be king over them. Samuel warned them to not get a king. Samuel told them. Samuel protested. God told Samuel to protest. <clears throat> but in 1 Samuel 8, verse 19 through 20, the Bible says the people refused to hearken unto the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. And that our king, pay attention to this now, may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Those three things. They'll, the, our king will judge us, go out before us and fight our battles. So they wanted a king for those three reasons. Number one, to be their judge. Number, one, number two, to be their leader. Number three, to be their protector. As fallen creatures, we need those three things, don't we? We need someone to judge us. We need someone to tell us what's right and wrong. We also need a leader. We need strong leadership because all we like sheep are prone to go astray. And we need someone to protect us and give us victory over enemies. The problem is, when it comes to judging, whose standard of right or wrong do we go by? When it comes to leading, who will lead us. Who do we follow? Where are they going to take us to? When it comes to fighting our battles for us, that will the king you choose be able to overcome the enemies you face? Those are some things you need to think of. Israel had it made in all three of those departments. They had the right morality. They had the right leadership. They had the right king They had who, who could defeat all of their enemies because God could do all that for them and had done all of that for them. It was God that brought them out of the, 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 the stronghold of the uh, most powerful nation in the world, which was Egypt, who overcame Pharaoh through the power of the Passover. Our earthly judges don't always have heavenly standards, do they? We know that because it's the supreme judges of our land 
that told us that a woman had a right to abort her children. It's the supreme judges of our land that tell us that two men have the right to marry each other. Our earthly leaders are often the blind leading the blind. Brother Shepherd sent me a uh, news article the other day of a mega church that uh, had a Super Bowl-themed church service, and they had a female pastor kick off the church service by kicking the Bible like a football across the stadium. Our earthly protectors, blind leading the blind. She'd, instead of kicking that Bible, she'd read it. She'd understand she couldn't be a pastor. Our earthly protectors are defeated by the same enemies that defeat us. Kings and presidents, they may be able to win wars against some nations. But ultimately, they'll overcome our true mortal enemies. Sin, Satan, and death. That's the true enemies of man. This is why we need a king who will judge us according to the right standard of right or wrong. That will lead us so that we don't fall into the ditch. And that can defeat our true enemies. The ultimate enemies of mankind. And Israel had the only king on earth who could do that for them. That was God. And they rejected him as their king and traded him in for a man. Adam traded his king in for a woman. The woman traded her king in for a serpent. And Israel traded their king in for a man. It's just what people do. The human race has a history of making bad decisions when it comes to choosing leadership. But if we will have him, God has promised to give the human race a king to lead us in the way of righteousness, to judge us in the way of truth and morality, and to give us victories over our enemies of sin and the grave that we may have everlasting life. That's what the gospel message is all about. Israel would say, we have no king. With the gospel message, we can say, we have a king. I want you to listen to how John the Baptist's father described God's promise to Abraham. When we think of God's promise to Abraham, oftentimes we think of God saying, well, here, you can have this land over here. There was so much more to that. God promised that he would make uh, Abraham a blessing, that and then through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed, which meant the curse that they had inherited from Adam would have to be removed so they could be blessed of the promise that God was giving Abraham, which would come through Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we could inherit the land forever. And the only way you can inherit land forever is if you live forever. The promise to Abraham was everlasting life through his seed. Now listen carefully to how John the Baptist's father described by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit God's promise to Abraham. He says in Luke chapter 1, verse 73 through 77. Luke 1, 73. 
he, he, he described God's promise to, 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 to bless the world through Abraham as, quote, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Now, if you just stopped there, you would think, all right, well, God promised to deliver us out of the hands of our enemies, and we'll be able to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Well, there's your leadership, there's your judgment, and there's your king fighting your battles for you right there. But listen to what he goes on to say in in the next verse, verse 76. He says, And thou, child, talking about John the Baptist, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Not putting away the Romans so they can serve him without fear. Not putting away the Greeks or the Assyrians or the Babylonians. Not putting away these people, but putting away your sins to remit your sins. We'll be able to serve Him without fear. He's going to deliver us from our enemies. The salvation that John the Baptist was going to be preaching was not that the Christ would deliver us. Not that the King would deliver us. Just simply from the imperial armies, the national carnal enemies of man, but from the main enemies of man, sin, Satan, and death. You see the remission of our sins. Sin is the chief enemy of man. And and, and if we have to understand sin, Satan, and death. Now remember, the Bible calls the devil the god of this world. And so we have to understand that there are two kingdoms that exist right now. And these kingdoms are running parallel to one another at the same time. That is the kingdom of this world, and that is the kingdom of of our God and of His Christ. They run parallel together. One will come to an end, the other will go on forever. Alright, so when we're born into this world, we are born into a kingdom that's, that's, that's ruled by the devil through the power of sin and death. And so sin, if you will, and death, it reigns in this fallen kingdom of man. It reigns just like a nation against us. And so when Jesus comes back... The book of the Revelation explains he will come back as king of kings and lord of lords. Why? This is why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, because the kingdom that we were born into must be overcome. And if that kingdom is not overcome, it will continue to reign over us in the power of sin and death. And it's going to keep us holding to that death. And the grave will forever be our cage of bondage. And so, John the Baptist's father here, he says he's going to deliver us from the hand of our enemies. 
He's going to show us the way of salvation that is from our enemies by the remission of our sins. You see, the remission of our sins is the only way to overcome death's reign over us. God did not design man to live under the power of sin and death. He designed us to live under the power of eternal life and righteousness by His Holy Spirit. Sin and death are foreign powers. God did not put sin and death in the Garden of Eden. Man did. There was the potential for man to sin because man had to be able to choose. You can't love God unless you can choose God. Without choice, there is no love. The ability for us to love is hinges upon the power for us to choose. So God put those two trees in the knowledge of uh, the knowledge of good and evil and the and, and the tree of life in that garden of Eden. But he said, "Don't eat from this tree." And it was man that brought sin and death into the world. The Bible says by man came sin. So by man, uh, by man came death, by man came the resurrection from the dead. And so Adam brought sin and death into the Garden of Eden, but God did not originally put that there. Sin and death are foreign powers that invaded earth's domain through Adam's disobedience. And Jesus came to deliver us from our enemies of sin and death by defeating those enemies on the cross in the empty tomb and triumphantly reigning over them as our king. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24 through 26. Listen to how the Bible describes the second coming of Christ and Him ruling on earth and bringing uh, the, uh, His kingdom to fruition. Then cometh the end when He, that is Jesus, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Jesus has to put down all rule, all authority, and power. In other words, he has to completely bruise the head of that foreign invader of sin, Satan, and death that now reigns. He has to completely crush it and put down all that authority and power of the present world system that is now our enemies. This all goes back to him saying, I'll put enmity, enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. It shall bruise your head, you'll bruise his heel. This is playing out here in 1 Corinthians 15. Then cometh the end when he, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all power, I'm sorry, and all authority and power, verse 25, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. What enemies? The enemies that John the Baptist's father was talking about. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? Death. Not, not Russia, not China, not Iran, not the Democrats. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. These are the enemies that Christ came to rule over, to bring into subjection, to ultimately conquer forever. And forever. Romans chapter 5. 
verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense, death, what? Reigned. Right now, what's reigning in this world? Death is reigning. Death reigns over everyone. It brings all of us into subjection. It conquers every one of us. By one man's offense, death reigned. So he says here, Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. By one, Jesus Christ. Oh man, thy kingdom come. Right? I'm glad to be part of the kingdom. You can put a crown on a man's head and you can call him a king. You can elect a president, put him in the White House. You can ordain a supreme leader if you're in North Korea. But no matter how high you promote someone, they're still just a man or a woman. There is no descendant of Adam that can overcome the true enemies of man. For sin and death reign over them too. The only man who can defeat the greatest enemies of man is Jesus Christ, the virgin-born Son of God. All who rejected Christ and put their trust in earthly leaders will one day say, like Israel, we have no king. We have no one who can overcome the greatest enemies we face. Look back in your text now in Hosea chapter 10. We have no king. Why? Because we feared not the Lord. And that word fear means reverence Him as the one true God and creator of all things. Israel lost their earthly king because they did not fear or reverence the Lord as their true sovereign leader, protector, judge, and king. They had forsaken the only one who could protect them from their enemies. And now they would die by their enemies under their enemies' reign. Here's a kingdom truth. Those who live without God's authority shall die without God's grace. Those who live without God's authority shall die without God's grace. When the Jews crucified Jesus, do you know what they said? And this was so important. This ties right in with Hosea chapter 10. Jesus came to deliver them from their enemies of sin, Satan, and death. Jesus came to do what no other king could do. And the, the earthly judge says, Shall I crucify your king? And you know what they said? We have no king but Caesar. In the scriptures fulfilled. How sad. He said they'll say. We have no king. And it came to pass. And one day they're going to understand. That they have no king. Because they feared not the Lord. Because Jesus told them. If you believed. If you believe God, you'd believe me. If you were like Abraham, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me. If you believed at all, you would believe me. But they've rejected him as their king. And now the Jews will say, look back in your text, what then should a king do to us? Or perhaps better, what then should a king do for us? Caesar can't help them now, can he? <laughs> 
them, they and Caesar are probably in the exact same place right now. What good can a king do them now? That's how some translations put it. Caesar needed Jesus like they did. Do you know why Israel didn't recognize their Savior? They didn't recognize their enemies. That's why. Had they recognized their enemies, they would have recognized their Savior. The Savior came telling them about their sin. And they said, we're not sinners. <laughs> we're not sinners like these publicans. We're not sinners like the, your followers that eat with unwashing hands. They didn't recognize their king because they didn't recognize their enemies. That's why repentance is necessary for salvation. You have to come to a place where you understand you are, are guilty of sin. You can't need a Savior for something you don't believe you need saving from. You can't accept a pardon unless you plead guilty to the charge. Does that make sense? It's what repentance is. Hostile foreign governors were, governments weren't their enemies. Sickness, hunger uh, it, it weren't their enemies. They were symptoms of their enemies. The true enemy that causes all these things is Sin and death, and only Jesus can deliver us from them. And whatever you put your trust in, whether it's your money or your education or, or politics or even your religion, when it comes your time to die, if you didn't put your trust in Jesus, you're going to say, what can that king do for me now? Because that, nothing but Jesus can deliver you from death. Nothing. When it comes their time to die, those who put their trust in Christ can say the opposite because we have a king. We've come to the cross and accepted Christ as our Savior, accepted God as the authority above us, and accepted His Son as the one who came to deliver us from the sins we've committed. An unbeliever, when it comes their time to die, they can say we have no king when it comes to our time to die, we can point to an empty tomb and say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Now, you can't reject the truth without embracing lies. Here's a kingdom truth for you this morning. Those who aren't saved by the truth that they believe will fall by the lies that they believe and tell. Those who are not saved by the truth they believe, which is the gospel, they ultimately shall fall by the lies that they believe and the lies they tell. God said, verse 4, as we sum this up, they have spoken words swearing falsely and making a covenant. If they made a treaty, it wasn't worth the paper it was written on. Their words and their promises meant nothing. You see, Christianity is founded upon truth. Christianity is founded upon the fact that God never lies. It has to be because we're saved by faith. And faith believes something. It believes the good news of Christ. And if that news isn't true, then our faith is worthless. There's not a single Christian here today who could lay their head on their pillow at night with assurance that they're going to heaven. That they're accepted by God if there was the slightest chance that God could lie. 
The slightest chance that what God told us is not true. The slightest chance that he'll not fulfill his promise. But as the children of God, we rejoice in the fact that it's impossible for God to lie. And people should be able to rejoice in that fact. And those who do should not lie as well. People who believe the truth should always speak the truth, right? The Bible says now that we know Christ, we shouldn't lie one to another anymore. So we put off the old man and put on the new man. The devil is the father of lies. And so that means you're no more like the devil than when you're lying. Lies have no place in a believer's mouth. Now, I'm not saying a believer can't lie. They can, and they do sometimes. But they have no place there. There are some people in our government today who, when they get on television to address the nation, I don't know what you do. I just turn it off because they've already proven themselves to be liars. I I don't believe a word they say. There's no use in listening to them. And I remember growing up being so proud of my government when I was a, a young man. I was proud of Ronald Reagan, our president. I know he's just a man. I understand he had faults and everything too. All men do. But I remember thinking as a young man, at least I believe this anyway, even though it was probably uh, in many ways naive. But I think it was more true than it is now. And I remember thinking, well, other governments lie, but the United States, they'll never lie. They'll always tell the truth to their citizens. I remember thinking that growing up. Sadly, though, we have leadership now that blatantly practices lies. There was a lot about President Trump I disagreed with, and I still disagree with, but I quickly learned when he got in the office and the media said one thing and he said another, I quickly learned he was telling the truth and the media was lying. If he made a promise, he tried to keep it. Why is it important To have a leader that speaks truth. Why is it important for a nation to speak truth? Because truth is the foundation of all morality. Righteousness cannot exist apart from truth. At this time in Israel's history, the king's word meant nothing. The people's word meant nothing. God is truth. So when a nation no longer regards God, it no longer regards truth. The the, the two go hand in hand. All truth comes from God. God is truth. When you disregard God, you disregard truth. If there's a recklessness to the God above you, there'll be lies on the earth around you. Without truth, there can be no righteous judgment in a nation. See, our nation was founded upon the fact that God created all men equal. Not equal in the sense of talents. Not equal in the sense of strength, but equal in the sense that God loves us and gave His Son for us and loves us the same in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a nation believes that all men are created equal, then what it's going to do is going to judge all men equally. But once that truth is lost, then equal judgment will be lost. You'll begin to prosecute the people you don't like you'll begin to justify the people you do. If a judge believes that he is a steward of God, and one day he's going to have to answer to a higher judge uh, over him, that is God, he's going to, in the fear of God, judge righteously according to truth. But if that judge dismisses the truth of God, he's no longer going to try to please his Creator. He's going to try to please his own corrupt agenda. 
And that's what we're experiencing today. When a nation sets aside the truth of God, lies will become truth and justice will become injustice. I'm going to say that again. When a nation sets aside the truth of God, lies will become truth and justice will become injustice. Here's a kingdom truth for you this morning. When truth becomes erroneous, justice becomes poisonous. When truth becomes erroneous, justice, quote unquote, becomes poisonous. They disregard the truth, God said. Look back in your text. Thus judgment springeth up as hemlock in the furrows of the field. Now when you think of judgment, think of justice. It's the same thing. Their justice was like hemlock. Any of y'all ever tasted hemlock? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Hemlock is a highly poisonous plant. Justice should be healing to a nation, not poisonous to a nation. But their so-called justice was poisoning their land. Do we have any of that going on in America today? We sure do. You know, when a friend does us wrong, sometimes we'll say, well, with friends like that, who needs enemies? But with some of the justice that we're seeing today, who needs crime and corruption? When you have judges prosecute people for defending themselves, grant women the right to kill their unborn children, order county clerks to issue marriage certificates to, to two men, what well, you have judgment that's springing up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. Yesterday, Tammy and I had the pleasure of seeing many furrows in the field as we traveled back uh, through our nation's farmland in the Midwest. Furrows are those folds in the field. Uh, and then you have the little hills that you plant your, your, your crops in, and you have the furrows. And the, the, the furrows are not where you plant your crops. But their, their poison justice was so prolific, it was growing in the furrows of the field. We have a Department of Justice here in the United States, and oftentimes in speaking of it, I call it the Department of Injustice, because they flagrantly, in many cases, not in every case, but in many cases, they flagrantly prosecute conservative people and overlook the liberal people that they like, that's pushing their agenda, who are doing greater crimes. So instead of being a, a balm to heal our land of the injustice that it experiences and uh, in, in, in helping the, the people who are victimized by their neighbor, the, the, the justice in this country is becoming more like hemlock growing in the furrows of the field. You'd be better off without it because it's poisonous. And for this reason, when Jesus comes back as our saving king, he will come back as our righteous judge. You see how the two go hand in hand? They will say, we have no king. We need a king. We need a king to put down the, the, the sin and the death now reigns. But we also need a righteous judge because how did the sin and death start reigning to begin with? Unrighteousness entered our land. Where there is unrighteousness, there is sin. Where there is sin, there is death. And so when Jesus comes, he cannot only come back as a king to destroy the enemy. 
He has to come back as a judge to establish righteousness forevermore. Through which we'll live forever. His righteousness. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 as we close. Says because he hath appointed a day. In the which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. And that he hath raised him from the dead. There's your victory over your enemy. And there's your judge to ensure that the enemy will never creep back into the garden again. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. Oh, Lord, what glorious truths, Father God, you give us. What great assurance you give us in the gospel. We thank you, Father, for giving us a Savior who came as a king and a judge. The earth has not crowned him yet, but it will. The earth has not bowed the knee yet, but it will. And when it does, there will be hemlock no more. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost springing up in the furrows of the field. We thank you and we look forward to that time. Thy kingdom come. Amen.